Hello, and welcome to my podcast, All About Antarctica. I'm Dr. Steve Emsley, and I'm a professor in the Department of Biology and Marine Biology at the University of North Carolina, Wilmington, where for the past seven years, I've been teaching an undergraduate class titled Antarctic Ecology, Geology, History, and Policy that I designed from scratch. You won't find a class like this in the curriculum of any other university in the U.S., so I wanted to distill it down and offer it to everyone in this podcast so that you too can know all about Antarctica. Before I begin, let me give you a little background information. I first went to Antarctica in 1991 to help two colleagues of mine, Wayne and Sue Tribalpiece, collect data on penguins and other seabirds breeding on King George Island in the Antarctic Peninsula. I was their field assistant for two months that year, then returned the next two years where I ultimately began my own research program on penguins. More on that later. Right now, if you are at a computer or using your phone, pull up a map of Antarctica. Just Google Antarctic map and you'll find many of them. I like the one on geology.com because it has topography, elevations, and some of the research stations, but any will do for purposes here. Now, note that there is a western third of the continent labeled West Antarctica as divided by the Trans-Antarctic Mountains running roughly from northwest to southeast down the continent, with East Antarctica on the east side. In West Antarctica, you'll see the Antarctic Peninsula jutting northward towards the tip of South America. If you can zoom in more at the northern end of this peninsula, you'll see a series of islands off the west side, the South Shetland Islands, with the largest being King George Island, also known as Viente Cinco de Mayo by Argentina. This is where I began my Antarctic journey before going on to work at many other locations and research stations in the peninsula and in East Antarctica and the Ross Sea. I won't go into my penguin research right now, but you can learn more about it at my website at www.uncw.edu backslash penguins. There you'll find links to blogs of past expeditions, links to download published papers, and even some downloadable curricula for K through 12 teachers to use for polar studies in their classrooms. Also, if you're interested, there's a link to my Ornithology Trust Fund, where you can provide tax-deductible donations to UNCW that will go towards undergraduate research and field studies on birds. Those funds are especially used to kickstart new research with undergraduate students that could not otherwise be funded. So, after joining the faculty at UNCW in 1998, and after 25 years of research in Antarctica by 2015, I was anxious to develop a class that would encompass all major topics about Antarctica, including its geologic origin, development of its massive ice sheets, its marine and terrestrial ecology, and the fascinating stories of its discovery, exploration, and ultimate preservation as a world park in 1959 with the signing of the Antarctic Treaty. So I began offering this class to 40 undergraduate students every fall semester, leading to today, which is the 22nd of December, 2022, in producing this podcast. On the first day of class each year, I tell my students that if they make it through this course, they will know more about Antarctica than 99.9% .9 of the world population. It seems remarkable, but it's true. Stop anyone on the street and ask them to tell you about Antarctica. Many will say, well, it's cold up there. I get that one a lot. Antarctica is down south, not up north. Or they may say, have you seen polar bears there? Another misconception thanks to all the commercials at Christmas, where they show polar bears and penguins together. Not true. Penguins are found only in the southern hemisphere, polar bears only in the Arctic. 
Other misconceptions are that it's always dark and extremely cold, or that only scientists can go there. Also all untrue. In peak summer, the sun can be out 24 hours per day, and the temperature along the coast can be a balmy minus 10 to plus 10 degrees Celsius. Not so bad once you're used to it. Also, while many countries have research stations inhabited by scientists all around the continent, thousands of tourists visit every year on one of many cruise ships that now voyage to the continent. I will include all this history in this podcast. So once you know all the facts about Antarctica, you will be part of the 0.1% that know all about Antarctica. Okay, let's get started. This first part of the podcast is just going to be a brief introduction to Antarctica with some basic facts. If you still have that map of the continent on your computer or phone, take a look at it again. As you can see on the map, Antarctica is a huge continent, roughly 5.2 million square miles, but only about 2% of the actual continent is visible as ice-free terrain, mainly in coastal areas around the continent. If you were to place a map of the U.S. on top of Antarctica, it would only cover about three-quarters of the continent. The U.S. would span entirely across Antarctica from west to east, but there would be large areas still not covered above and below the U.S. map. That just gives you an idea of the scale of the Antarctic continent. Antarctica also is the coldest, windiest, and remote place on Earth. The mean annual temperature at the South Pole is about minus 50 degrees Celsius, while at the North Pole it is only about minus 18 degrees Celsius. Why the big difference? Even though each pole receives the same amount of sunlight per year, just at different times of year. First, the North Pole is an ocean surrounded by continents, while the South Pole is a continent surrounded by ocean. So, the South Pole is on the polar plateau at an elevation of 90,300 feet. That high elevation on an ice sheet makes the South Pole, and Antarctica in general, much colder than the North Pole in the Arctic. In fact, the coldest temperature on Earth was recorded at a research station on the polar plateau in Antarctica at minus 89 degrees Celsius, or minus 129 in Fahrenheit. That's pretty cold. Recent satellite data suggest even colder temperatures occur in small basins and pockets on the polar plateau, getting as low as minus 90 to minus 94 degrees Celsius, the coldest possible temperatures on Earth. For comparison, the average temperature on Mars is minus 81 degrees Celsius, So you can say that Antarctica can be as cold or colder than the surface of Mars. No wonder so little terrestrial life is found in Antarctica compared to the rest of the world. Antarctica is also covered with thick ice sheets, up to 2 kilometers, or 1.2 miles, thick on average, and up to 4 kilometers, or 2.5 miles, at the thickest point. To put that in perspective, if you were standing on the rim of the Grand Canyon looking down at the Colorado River, That would be 1.8 kilometers down. So the thickest ice in Antarctica is over two Grand Canyons deep. Entire mountain ranges are covered by this ice and have never been seen. Believe it or not, despite all this ice and cold, the Antarctic interior receives only two inches of snow per year. That small amount of precipitation classifies Antarctica as a desert, or more specifically, a cold desert. These harsh conditions limit wildlife so that there are no fully terrestrial vertebrates native to Antarctica. Penguins and seals come ashore there, but they are marine vertebrates. There are also only two flowering plants, and those are restricted to the northern Antarctic Peninsula, where the weather is a bit milder and where there is a lot more precipitation. It often rains there instead of snow in the summer. 
The Antarctic Peninsula, because it juts northward more than the rest of the continent, has many differences in climate and a greater diversity of wildlife than the rest of Antarctica. That is why I like to tell my students that there are really two Antarcticas. The Antarctic Peninsula, especially the northern part, which extends north of the Antarctic Circle, which is at 66 degrees 33 minutes south latitude, and the rest of the continent, where it is colder, drier, and less diverse in wildlife. There are still plants in this colder region, mainly lichens and mosses, but no flowering plants. So, now that you have these basic facts about Antarctica, let me end this part one of the podcast by answering the question, why care about Antarctica and its scientific value? After all, most people on the planet will never see this continent, let alone visit and stand on it. Here are my reasons for why it's so important for both scientists and the public alike. Despite having only 2% of the continent ice-free, there is an incredible fossil record there, both of plants and animals, including some dinosaurs. Some of these fossils have helped prove the theory of plate tectonics, or continental drift, as the same rocks and fossils recovered in Antarctica have also been found in South Africa, Australia, and India. More on this when we get into part two of the podcast on Antarctic origins. Antarctica is quite important in terms of global climate, past, present, and future. The ice sheets alone comprise about 70% of all fresh water on Earth. Melting ice or expanding ice can impact sea level and ocean currents that affect the rest of the world. More on this later, too. Antarctica is the last relatively pristine place on Earth. Biologists can study species adapted to this extreme environment that have not been disturbed by human activities and learn how life on Mars may be possible as well. In addition, human presence is growing in Antarctica as more stations are built and more countries sign on to the Antarctic Treaty. There is an abundance of natural resources in Antarctica that include minerals, oil and gas deposits, and marine fisheries. Right now, the Antarctic Treaty protects most of these resources, but if we want Antarctica to remain a relatively pristine world park, we must continue to support the treaty and maintain it in perpetuity. Finally, Antarctica fascinates us with its harsh environment and remote location. The early explorers in the 1800s and early 1900s have provided incredible stories of endurance, survival, and leadership that can be a lesson for all of us today. Thank you for listening to part one of my podcast, All About Antarctica. I'm Dr. Steve Emsley at the University of North Carolina, Wilmington, and I hope you tune in for part two, Antarctic Origins.